0: You know her from last week, and so she needs no introduction. Here's part two with Dr. Zoe Wimtest. I hope you enjoy. This is really interesting. Um... <laughs> I've got a million questions going on in my head. So I'm <laughs> trying to figure out. So when when we're talking about the the training of, of younger athletes, mm-hmm. now I don't want you to divulge all your information because I appreciate that you know people will come to you and hire services. So please don't put yourself out of work. But in terms of some basic things that people could do to help um, help their players try and not be so focused because I think the screen thing is fascinating most people mm. if you look at them walking down the street they've got their head down slightly looking at their phone yes. um, video games all of that type of stuff naturally you probably that's probably going to become more and more part of of everyday life in terms of little techniques or little things or little tasks you can get people to do that would generically just help them in I guess holistically is there anything yes. you could do in that space
1: Yeah, so the most important thing I would say every 20 minutes, you take a five minute break and you you go and you look outside into the distance, hopefully in natural light conditions. But if you are stuck inside, at least spend time kind of looking to the other side of the room. So a five minute break from doing your schoolwork shouldn't be spent playing on your phone. To distract you but it should be spent like how far into the distance can you see what can you actually focus on that's as far away as you can possibly focus and then back close again and then far away again so every 20 minutes have a five minute break to make sure that your eyes are still moving around but particularly to different distances that they're moving at um there's also blue light glasses so if you're sitting in front of a computer a lot of the time if you have these glasses it can help to filter out some of the blue light that can be good for helping things like fatigue in the eyes as well so there's more and more technology things that are coming into it but really the best thing I can advise is every 20 minutes have a five minute break from looking at things close to you
0: perfect and then one thing you hear particularly in American sports I guess they talk about quarterbacks in in American football saying the game slows down for them and they talk about, I guess, the cognitive process, That all of a sudden, after three or four years, just everything everything seems to get slower. Is that phenomenon... said that right as well. Um, <laughs> is that phenomenon um, because they're able to pick up on those cues a little bit quicker, a little bit better, and that maybe because they're more experienced than some of the other players around them, they're their yeah their cues that they're able to pick up is quicker than the other players which then allows them to feel like they've got more time rather than it actually being anything physical
1: yeah i would definitely say so so it's going to be to do with that experience getting themselves in the right place knowing where to look those scan patterns because they're embedded within the team you know once you've been playing for a couple of years you're going to be less stressed in the environment that you're performing in as well so The effects of stress on the visual system are huge. So if you're less stressed or you're able to manage that stress, certain things will open up to you that haven't before. But yeah, you hear this a lot of the time is that things slow down or the ball just looks bigger to you in sports like cricket and baseball. So yeah, absolutely. That's something that comes with experience, can be enhanced, I think, through training the visual system to speed that process up, but it's still not going to happen overnight. There are some bits of technology which do help in the short term. So um, you can get things called strobe specs. So they're a pair; they look like fancy sunglasses, but they have a strobe light in them. And sometimes they get goalkeepers maybe to wear them during a warm up. So it's really difficult because some of, like, it's completely blacked out some of the time, so you can't see. But once you take them off then everything does seem for a period of time like it's moving much slower to you because you're suddenly able to get more information in than you were able to in the warm-up. So some technology things are helping with that as well.
0: Perfect. That, that sounds really cool. I look forward to seeing all the Premier League goalkeepers wearing yeah. Edgar David's sunglasses and stuff. <laughs> um, in terms of stress, you mentioned the effect that stress can have on the vision. Um, what are some of the yeah the effects it has and how pronounced is it when, when people are playing?
1: So one of the most major things that we see as the effect of stress is that it reduces your peripheral vision. So um, I've managed to measure this myself in various athletes I've worked with. You test them and see where their vision is normally when they're not under stress. And most people can see to around 170, maybe 180 degrees. So that's pretty much level with themselves. They can see to either side. You put a little bit of stress on them. And so all this involves is me standing behind them, being as evil as I can, saying, oh, you missed one. It's not good performance. You're not doing as well as last time. And all of a sudden, their peripheral vision will reduce by 20, 30, maybe 40 degrees, which is a huge amount. So stress definitely affects the periphery. And that's something that coaches should take into account. So when a young player is stepping up to the next team for the first time, they are undoubtedly going to feel stressed and usually their performance will dip and quite often coaches will just say, oh, they weren't ready for the step up. Instead of thinking what that step up will have done to all of their different things. So psychologically, things like confidence will come into it as well, but physiologically, that reduction in periphery is going to make a big difference to what they're able to see and therefore what they're able to do. So we need to think of strategies in the long term for helping them manage and reduce the stress But in the short term, having strategies that they can use to understand that your periphery has shrunk. So you're going to have to do more head turns to scan, to see those passes square to you. So preparing players for what is likely to happen to them can help them make that step up more easily. Or even kind of in those tough situations where you're in a cup final and there's a few minutes to go. What strategies can you use to understand that stress is going to do this to your body so, what can we do to make its effect as low as possible on performance?
0: That's going to be my next question, actually. So, if you look at people that have sustained sustained success at the top levels, like your Man Cities at the moment, or Cristiano Ronaldo, or whoever, is part of their ability the fact that because they've been there before, they've been through it; it's not their first time. That actually, um. Visually, they don't get those shrinks where they they might stay at 180 degrees or whatever it may be. And actually, they're just able to take on more information more of the time because they're not as um, aroused by the situation as the other team that maybe this is their first cup final or first experience.
1: I definitely think that has a part to play in it. Yes. I think another thing quite often when you see those teams who do have sustained success, they all look like they're enjoying playing. And when you're enjoying yourself and having fun, you're not as stressed. So by introducing that level of relaxed, fun type of play, you're going to start to counter some of those effects that the stress will have. And so it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that the less stressed you are, the more fun you'll have and the better performance you'll have. And therefore, because you're performing well, you don't need to get stressed as much. So absolutely, I think that has a huge part to play in it. Um, And I think as well, the opposite is true too. So, you know, a team who's doing really well in a season, all of a sudden starts to feel that pressure on themselves and then they're going to go into games and start to feel a bit of stress because everyone's looking at them at the top of the league and they're not doing quite so well. Their peripheral and other factors will shrink and reduce and then they're not able to play as well anymore physiologically and then the results don't go their way and the stress mounts and it builds up and builds up and builds up. So yeah, it absolutely works both ways.
0: As a Tottenham fan, I'm very happy with that this year because that's exactly what happened to Arsenal. So that was a yeah a, a good, a good thing this year. But it's interesting you say because the, the stress side of being in relegation battles or, or being under pressure for results, you think about it as purely a confidence thing. But actually, if there's physiolo- physiological changes that are taking place, yeah, it's probably as much to do about that as it is external factors or confidence. Or yeah,
1: definitely. And I think it's... Difficult confidence is a difficult thing to work on as a concept. Like, how do you make someone more confident? Whereas if you can say to them, look, here's some physiological things that are going to go wrong, let's work on those. The player's confidence is very likely to automatically increase because they feel like you're working on the things that are going to make a difference to them. So it goes the psychology and the physiology side of this goes hand in hand if you work on one it's going to improve the other and I personally think that it's sometimes easier to work on those physiological things because players can kind of hook into that easier you can show them with some simple tests like okay before when you were stressed your periphery shrunk to this much but you were just able to use techniques and actually it maintained almost where it was when there was no stress at all so you know you can take that into a game and that's naturally going to build their confidence up and help them develop those techniques for being able to perform better.
0: Athletes being control freaks, right they want to be able to fix the problem and actually that's quite a nice way of skillfully saying oh no we've got an ability to potentially fix this problem so you just need to engage with it and that you know they'll go oh I'll I'll jump into that then if that's going to help.
1: Yeah, and obviously, because I do come from a psychology background, even though that's not what I do on a day to day basis, I do find that a lot of what I do does end up tapping into the psychology of what players are doing, but they don't think of me as a psychologist. So actually, sometimes they almost listen more because it's not got that stigma that as a psychologist has, you know, oh, there's got to be something wrong with me to go and see the psychologist. No, this is about making you get the best out of yourself and if I can come into it from a different angle but still use my psychological skills in there then it should be able to get the most out of the players
0: and then I probably first heard about this type of work um I believe Clive Woodward with the England setup. Mm-hmm. um if that is the case what did they do during that period what was the purpose of it who got involved yeah if you could just explain to everyone because that's the first time I ever came across it when I was relatively young I was like okay that seemed really cool but could you yeah just describe to us what what that actually was and what they did and what they were trying to achieve at that point
1: yeah absolutely so for a lot of people through Clive Woodward is the first and possibly the only time they've ever heard about vision training work so for the 2003 rugby world cup which england went on to win clive woodward brought in a woman called cheryl calder who's a south african lady and she's kind of the pioneer of this research in improving people's vision so she worked with the england team in 2003 and i think she worked with the Springboks team who'd won the world cup the time before in 1999 so she's one of the most successful people at winning rugby world cups um so clive brought her in to work with them and they were doing all sorts of different things so um some of it was related to those training those basic underlying visual capabilities so they had a computer program that they used which i personally think it's better than doing nothing but a computer program isn't necessarily the best way to train but if you're not going to be doing anything else why not um so they had some computer programs they used to train things like um ability to move your eyes quickly um they did stuff um kind of what you might look at and think of it as a handling drill, but actually it's improving your vision as well. And they also worked on things like tactically within a team, which is another huge part of vision training. If you think about rugby in particular, the person who is making a lot of the decisions is the scrum half. But when they're having to make the decision, their head is down rummaging to try and get the ball out of the bottom of a scrum or a ruck or a big heap of people. So their vision is going to be really poor because they've got their head down and there's a big pile of people in front of them. So I know something that um, the England team with Clive worked on um, is, okay, so if they're not going to have good vision, who does have the best vision? And that's going to be the people next to them spread all the way across the pitch. So what they did is they developed certain scanning techniques that everyone on the whole pitch would use the same scanning patterns. They'd scan um, from the crossbar to orient themselves on the pitch, and then they'd scan to the two touch lines, and then they communicate with the people next to them. And so if I'm the scrum half at the bottom of the kind of ruck trying to get the ball out, I've got people in my ear telling me where the space is. And because I know that they've used the same scanning technique that I've been told to use, they're going to have the same information. So I'm going to trust more what they're going to say. And it puts that scanning down to everyone on the pitch, instead of it just being the person who's about to receive the ball, it's suddenly everyone's responsibility. Um, And this is something that I think is really fantastic and is something that should be introduced a lot more is how can tactically you make the most of where people are looking and what they're looking for. So for example, if um, you know that a player on the opposition team is a really, really strong player and they tend to hold a certain position, if you can get them to go out of that position, then you've got the space to exploit it. But you need people to be scanning for, when is that person out of position? Okay, let's communicate now, we can go there. Or someone on the opposition team has just taken a bit of a knock, so they're not going to be maybe as alert as they once were. Okay, so for the next five minutes, we're going to target that person and put them under pressure. But it comes down to having everyone on the team following the same tactics and using their scanning to identify what they can go on and do.
0: Obviously, from the, from that perspective, it seems really process driven in terms of going, actually, we're going to highlight specific areas of the pitch we want you to look at. And then you'll gain the information you need from there. Would you say that that's the most effective way of doing it in terms of if you're trying to do it as a collective, having that process of going, we are all going to do this? Is that the best way to, to get alignment?
1: Usually yes, Um, I would say so, because you want everyone on the team to have the confidence and the faith in each other and it comes down to the tactics. So again, if, um, so for example, the hockey team that I play in now, our first tactic is if we win the ball in one area of the pitch, if you divide the pitch horizontally, no vertically into say three different areas, if you win the ball in the right hand area, you immediately want to transfer it over at least one area, so the out of the area of congestion. So what our team should all be doing is all scanning to see where there is someone in the next zone over that we're able to then move the ball on quickly to. And if we're all following that same pattern, then our tactics should come together to work. So it's about working with the coaching staff to work out, well, what are your tactics? So how can where you're scanning to help your players best implement those tactics? Because if you're only scanning forwards or you're only scanning when the ball is on its way to you, you're going to miss a huge amount of information of what's happening around the pitch so that you can then make sure that your first touch opens your body up to take it to where you need to pass to next.
0: And how quickly would you look to do that? So is would you do it on pretty much every pass? So every time there's a change of the stimulus in terms of the ball, would you then say to him, right, like you need to reframe at this point. So now you need to look at who's in the next zone or yeah, how often would you look to do that?
1: So I think it depends. And this is something that I've been working on, interestingly enough, with my dad, who's a really, really good hockey coach. And he's kind of really into the work that I do and scanning. So we've been working on when is the best time to scan. And actually, there are certain times when you're going to have more time to scan the whole pitch and take in the big picture. And there are going to be times when you just have time for a confirmatory check. So when the ball goes out of play, you watch... Most sporting teams and environments, and everyone is just looking at the ball as it's gone out of play. How is that helping? The ball is out of play, there's no pressure on you. Scan and see where everyone is, Take in the big picture of what is happening on the pitch at that time. Adjust your position so that you can be in the best place, not necessarily to receive the ball, but to help with your tactics. So when the ball is out of play, you have loads of time, and yet most people don't scan them. Most of the talk about scanning is only about what happens in the 10 seconds up to you receiving the ball. And really in that time, you only have the time to do maybe a confirmatory scan. So before that, when the ball isn't on its way to you, you need to then be using that time to go, okay, so the ball's there, I'm here, here are my options. This is where I'd like it to go. So that's where I'm going to first check for my confirmatory scan when the ball is on its way to me. But if that's closed off, I know that there are other options over here. So it's about utilizing the time and the space that you have at different opportunities and not just thinking about scanning as being... What happens as you're about to receive the ball? That's one part of it, but one small part of it.
0: And then what would the Holy Grail look like for you in this space? So obviously you're in a, a position now where obviously there is some research that's been put in place, there's some practical implementation of it. I'd imagine that you're gonna get, you know, clubs trying to investigate it for marginal gains, etc. If I were to say to you, magic wand all the funding you could ever want five years time what would you say the perfect implementation of this type of work would be um, and where do you think it's going to end up
1: okay so from my perspective I think in the long term the big picture has to be probably me working or someone in my situation working with coaches more than they're working with players to get coaches to implement into all the things that they're doing how and when you should be scanning how you can be using these different things to actually make a difference in, on the pitch before that. So potentially you might want before that to screen all the players to see what their visual capabilities are so that if there are areas of weakness, you can train on that, train them separately, and then look at how it is implemented on the pitch. But that should happen just maybe once a season. Um, If a player has weaknesses, I'd work with them probably on a weekly or a biweekly basis um, to improve those skills. So then when they're on the pitch, they can learn to use them. There's loads of stuff that can be done as well. So when a player is injured, what are they doing for their recovery? Obviously, they're spending a lot of time just with the physios, but could they be incorporating vision into what they're doing um, in their recovery for multiple reasons? Firstly, because hopefully then when they recover from their injury, they're going to go back into performing as a better player than before they got injured because they've had time to spend working on some of those visual skills. But also there is some evidence to show that if you've had, I can't remember which injury it was, the research was done on some kind of a knee injury, you're more likely to re injure yourself when you first go back out to play. And that's because a lot of the rehab that you're doing, you're having to use your visual system to help you balance and control your body. And then as soon as you're back out into a live match situation, you can't use your vision just to help you stabilize that once injured joint because you're having to use your vision to play the game. So What we want to do as well is introduce into rehab work, having to get people to use their visual system for things other than just stabilising where the injury was to hopefully then prevent re-injury. So I kind of went off on a tangent, but as I say, I think this is something that should and could be implemented throughout a club um, from those individual skills, working with injured players. But the gold standard would be getting the coaches and working with them to integrate it into a huge amount of what they're doing, both in terms of the skill development, but the tactics of the team as well.
0: Now, that makes complete sense. The knee injury ones are really interesting as well. You look a lot at um, female football at the moment, it seems to be recurrence of ACLs, MCLs, all of that type of stuff. And I know I've seen a few people on Twitter um, discussing maybe some of the reasons for why on, on that. But that might be another one as well in terms of, yeah, like you've mentioned there, if if it is a reoccurrence of the same injury, that actually if there's already an issue there for whatever reason in terms of the way the women are being trained, when you then add in the fact that they're not focusing on the stimulus during rehab sessions, you're almost doubling up the factors of things that could make it challenging for them to uh, return to play properly.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, And then in terms of the use of VR, it's something that you see more and more. um, And I guess people are discussing the ability to take uh, loading times off and players being able to work in that space. Do you see that as something that could potentially be utilised? Is it the same or is it because it's virtual reality? It's it's slightly different in terms of the way that we process the information, etc.?
1: So virtual reality is something that I don't have a huge amount of experience of using myself. And I think it has its place, but I don't think it's gonna be the be all and end all that some people seem to think it is. I think it could absolutely be used for, like you say, taking the load off some players, giving them thinking opportunities, helping with decision-making processes. But in terms of what your visual system is doing, it's not providing the same kind of a stimulus as you'd have out on the pitch. So you don't have depth perception involved with virtual reality, even if, you know, the area is kind of making people look smaller, it's not, your eyes are not having to do the same thing as they were before. You have to do big head turns in order to see what is happening around you. Whereas in a game situation, it's going to be much quicker if you just do a flick of the eyes instead of a big head turn, but VR can't take that into account as far as I'm aware. So again, you're trying to alter things in players, which isn't necessarily the best thing for their performance, if you could just get them to do an eye flick, that's surely better than a head turn, but VR doesn't account for that. So I do think it is got a lot of potential, and I'm really interested to see all the research that's coming out of it. I know that at your club, they're doing a big project using VR at the moment, so it's really, really interesting to see where that's going. I just think at the moment, it's not something that is as good as it could be potentially.
0: And then in terms of uh, if people are interested in this field, obviously you've mentioned a little bit around uh, the goggles space. Um, If there are any teams listening that wanted to go down that route, I guess what's the feasibility of that being run out in clubs? Are they expensive? Is it hard to get hold of? Can people use it in-game and be able to get like real-life circumstances when they're actually playing matches? Or or what does that look like at the moment?
1: So there's... um lots of different things. So the eye tracker, which is going to show you where people are looking, it's not something you can use in game because it would break if you headed the ball. Um, It's like wearing a pair of glasses with a battery pack attached, but you can be very clever in training scenarios so that you get a good impression of it. However, they are very expensive. Um, We're talking thousands of pounds for them. Plus you'd need someone who knows how to work and analyse them properly. However, lots of universities have them. So if you're a club based close to a university, reach out to them and see if they are interested in doing any research with you because I know lots and lots of universities are looking for ways to do more research with sports teams so that might be one way um or get in contact with me if I can't help you myself I can usually put you in contact with people who can do things like the strobe specs I talked about in terms of slowing things down um they you have to buy them from the states i think at the moment um a company called synaptic are the ones that i usually get mine from they're a few hundred pounds for a pair so it's potentially something that people might want to invest in as a club but again you need to know how to use them in the right way to get the most out of them so i would always say maybe work with someone like myself to start off with and then you know we can leave you with things to help you to keep implementing um, and keep improving your players ability while they're there instead of just buying things that are gimmicky and not being able to use them right and then you'll never get the benefit out of them
0: you've segued nicely into my next question which is (laughs) going to be if people did want to get in contact you know with interest in this or they want to ask questions that I haven't done with my mind racing during this conversation how can they get in contact with you regarding that
1: so my website is performancevision, all as one word, .co.uk, and there's contact forms on there. Or you can email me, which is zoe at And I'm always really interested to hear from anyone with questions or who wants to just know more information or potentially do some work in this field. So please do reach out and I will get back to you and help in any way I can.
0: Perfect. And the last question for me, which is, if I were to ask any of the coaches or players that you work with, to describe you in three words, how do you hope they describe you?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I hope they would describe me as, um, knowledgeable. I think that's quite important. Um, hopefully they would describe me as fun. Um, I like to make sure that everything I'm doing is quite fun. Um, and, Hmm, how else? Yeah, maybe just easy to get along with. I think, I hope I get on quite well in all situations. I've worked in loads of different teams and with individuals, and I think I get on quite well with everyone and try and kind of integrate myself into what they're doing. So, yeah, hopefully those three.
0: Perfect. Listen, I will let you crack on with the rest of your day. I'm definitely going to be emailing you some other questions that i'm going to think about after (laughs) but really appreciate your time and hopefully catch up again soon
1: yeah thank you for having me on it's been a really fun chat